Well, Jen, good morning. Welcome. So glad that you are, are here with us at the Olathe Campus of Christ Community Church. My name is Nathan. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here. It's uh, great to, to be together, to worship together uh, as we continue our time in Hebrews, right? We've been in Hebrews since the very beginning of this year. If you're new with us, we're at the very end of our study. In fact, uh, after today, we just have one more week left in this, this ancient sermon written so long ago that continues to speak to us today. Uh, well, as we begin our time together, I wanted to begin with a little, maybe a little exercise here. Um, just what do you think of when you hear the word church? The first things that pop in your mind. I mean, just some pictures here to kind of maybe spark some of your imagination, right, of, of at least where, where we're at, where we attend. Uh, this is Christ Community, our four campuses. But what, what do you think of when you think of church? Worship, Worship okay. What else? Universal, yeah, bigger than bigger than us. People. What was that one over here? Community. Yeah, we'll put that together. A building? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's it's often located with a, a space. Or, or maybe maybe take it from a different angle now. What what about? So these are great. What is the church? What is it supposed to be about? What is the church for? Thoughts? Sorry? Yeah, equipping, absolutely. What else? They're coming every week, come on. Teaching, sure. Praise, yeah. Goes with, goes with the idea of worship. Absolutely. And we could probably you know, keep going on, on and on and on as we think about what, what is church for. I'm a little, little relieved, kids, uh, that none of you said donut holes or candy, even though I guarantee it's probably what my kids were thinking of. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, and, and if you are younger, for, for example, kids, uh, you might think of church, you might just sort of think of it as, well, it's, just, it's just what we do, right? It's just a place that we go on Sunday morning. In fact, you may not really know any different at this point. And, and, and maybe, maybe that's not you. Maybe if, if you're not a Christian, you probably see it from a very different perspective as well, don't you? You probably have some really good ideas of what church ought to be about. Uh, and you probably also see a lot of the ways in which we tend to, to fall short. But, but no matter who you are, one thing that none of us said, and I, and I mean who would, right? Seriously. Um, we all know better than this. No, nobody said that church exists, the purpose of church is the satisfaction of my own, our own needs and desires. We all know better than that. We know that church isn't about you. Church isn't about me. It's not about any one of us. Of course it isn't, and shame on me for even bringing it up. But... If I were to ask maybe another question of, of why you go to church, or maybe even more specifically, why you go to this church, I'm guessing a lot of our reasons would have to do with the satisfaction of our needs and desires, wouldn't they? I mean, some of you, right, if I asked that question, you would say something like, and I, and I would I would hope that you would say something like this. Some of you would say, man, we just love this stuff for our kids. Our kids love it here. Or, or maybe you say, this is, this is where our friends are, right? This is our community, our family. We couldn't imagine without it. Others would maybe say, the music, it's just so worshipful. 
And don't even get me started about the preaching, mm, right? I mean, we do those things, and we, we hope that they're a blessing to you. That's, that's, that's why we do them, right? And we hope that you love it here. But wait a sec. We all just agreed like a minute ago that church is not about the satisfaction of our desires, our needs. And yet most of those reasons have to do with our desires and, and needs. Hmm. Now, in case you're thinking at this moment, okay, Nathan's been gone for a little bit. He's just got to rant a little bit, got to get up a little bit of steam, especially if you're listening to the scripture being read, right? Obey your leaders, submit to your pastors. What? No amen? Seriously? I mean, come on. Thought for sure we'd get somebody there. Uh, no, not, not at all, right? So maybe, maybe you're thinking that, or maybe, you know, this is just a chance for me to preach at you for a while. Well, let me just begin with a confession, okay? Right out of the gate. If there is any person in this room who is most likely to make church all about them, it's me, without a doubt. I mean, if there's an award for most likely to make church revolve around them, I would win it, right? Pastors do it all the time, and I know my temptations. And so when we, when we talk about these things, hear these words of Scripture, and the, the words of this sermon, not as directed at you, but at us as, as God's church here in this place. Now, on the one hand, we have a remarkably healthy congregation. It is a pleasure to be a pastor here. And I, I hope you realize that, that that's actually a pretty rare thing. There are lots of angry pastors at lots of really unhealthy churches. But we praise God for you, your pastors. We hear, we love it here. So when we get to a text like this, which could so easily come across sounding either self-serving or angry, I'm so glad that together we, get, we here, we at Christ, we get to approach this as an encouragement, not as a rebuke. Because so many of us here are living out, are actually believing and embracing that church is not about you. It's not about me. It's about something bigger, and you know it, and you embrace it. And yet on the other hand, we all know how consumer-driven we are in every other area of our lives. And it is impossible for us not to bring that with us to church. Because we have access to anything we want in a matter of moments. The, 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 the possibilities for personal gratification are literally endless. And so why shouldn't my church give me everything that I need? And why shouldn't I leave when you disappoint me? Some of you will. And some of you, deep down, I mean, if, if you're honest with yourself, some of you are probably, maybe can be characterized as serial church shoppers. I mean, I, I know there, there are times when it is appropriate to leave a church, and I know that it can be so hard to find a place that truly fits. But could it be that you're just a consumer? Going for the next thing, looking for the next right fit, the perfect spot, the, the one that's just going to be just, just, just right, but Listen, church isn't about you. And when we make it about us, we destroy every bit of our effectiveness. So if it's not about us, what is it about? 
Well, that's what the author of Hebrews has been talking about, right? These last couple of chapters, last several weeks together has been building a case more and more. You heard it last week with Kevin and the week before that with Tim. More and more of what church is supposed to look like, what it's supposed to be. And there's four things that jump out to me from this text. There's a lot that we could say about what the church is. But four things here. That church is about imitation, not independence. It's about theology, not therapy. Sacrifice, not satisfaction. And gladness, not groaning. Gulp. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us? God, we long for these things to be true of us, God. We want church to be about something so much more than the satisfaction of any of our needs or desires. We want to be a church that that loves the lost, that seeks out the, the poor and oppressed, that longs to love one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another. God, we need you to speak to us from your word. And God, I pray that even as I speak these words, God, I, I feel so inadequate. God, I know, I know the temptations that live within my heart. And God, I, I know how easy it is for words like this, even though it was written 2,000 years ago in your word, words like this to come across as sounding so self-serving as we talk about the church. So God, I pray that you protect us from that. Help us not see the church merely, merely as a collection of leaders or buildings or anything like that, but as more, God, of, of, of us as your people called together on a mission of redemption. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so first, church is about imitation, not independence. Now, when I hear that word imitation, I got to tell you, the first thing that pops into my mind is back when in high school, I worked at Subway Sandwiches, uh, and we had this imitation crab meat that looked and smelled like feet. Seriously. So yay, imitation, right? But independence, what could be more American than that? It's like football and apple pie, right? We long for our independence. But but look what the preacher says. I mean, it's classic Jesus, right? He flips everything on its head. Look, look Look what is said here. This life with Christ, chapter 13 is where we're at, beginning now in verse 7. He says, remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, most likely he's talking about their leaders who have already gone on, who have already finished their their race. And he he says to them, look at them. Look at the way that they live their lives. Do you see anything desirable, anything in them that you want for yourself? Then imitate them, he says. Which, to me, right, in our sort of excessively individualistic culture, smells just a little bit like fake crab meat, doesn't it? We hear that, and it's like, come on, right? I want to I be independent. I want to be my own person, to carve my own way. We use phrases like, you've got to be true to yourself and follow your heart. When's the last time you've thought of imitation as a good thing? But imitation's how we learn, isn't it? I mean, think about the way that kids imitate their their parents. It's actually kind of terrifying, isn't it? But it's not just kids. We all all do that, right? We we do that with our friends, our our co-workers, the people that we respect, people in your community group. The question isn't whether or not you're imitating the people around you. The question is, who are you imitating? 
Because we're all doing it. Every one of us. I mean, we, we think we love our independence and our individual, individuality just so long as our individuality matches up with the individuality of the people we're trying to be like, right? That's kind of how we, how we live. If you value independence over imitation, you're not going to grow. You're, you're, not, you're not going to follow Jesus. And so ask yourself, who am I imitating? Who? Because there's people in your life that you're imitating, so who is it? And don't, don't put your leaders on a pedestal, okay? Please, dear heavens, don't do that. And yet you should expect the people to, who lead you to live lives worth following. So kids, students, what do you see in your parents? What do you, what do you see in your Sunday school teachers or the people who, who volunteer and, and lead in your youth ministry? And, and not just kids, all of us, right? What do, you, what do you see in your friends, the people that you respect? What do you see in your community group leaders? What about your pastors? Oh, freaks me out just saying that. I know how inadequate I am, but I also know it's part of my job description. What do you see in my life, in our lives as we lead, that you find desirable? He says, go out and imitate it. So maybe a simple next step this morning. Even right now in this moment, think about somebody that you admire, somebody that you respect. Okay, and once, once you have that person in mind, think about what's one thing about them that you particularly respect, something about the way that they engage with their family, the way they do their work, the way they follow Jesus in, in all of life. What is that thing? Well, and then this week, here's the next step. Go and imitate them. Learn, learn what it feels like. Try, try it on for size to see, to see how, it, how it fits. This is the way that we learn and grow. It's the way generations pass on. I mean, we, we follow Jesus, right? But he's been gone for a really long time. And so in large part, we follow him by following others who are following him, who have been following him, who have been following him. That's, that's how we live this life. And also with this, don't forget to ask, is your life worth imitating? Just like it or not, people are imitating you. Is it worth it? I mean, that's what, that's what church is. A community that learns from one another what it means to follow Jesus. Imitation, not independence. Second, church is about theology, not therapy. And by therapy, I'm not, I'm not talking about seeing a counselor or, or anything like that. I'm talking about what Christian Smith uh, and his team of researchers have called the fastest growing religion in America. Moral therapeutic deism, he calls it. And, and essentially, moral therapeutic deism, it's the, the belief system that basically the, the, the big idea theologically is that really God just wants you to be good. He wants you to be happy. And he wants you to feel good about yourself. And if you live a decent, decent enough life, then you get to go to heaven when you die. That's the number one religion in America. And that's the primary belief system of a whole lot of churchgoers. And who doesn't want to feel good about ourselves? And who doesn't want to fit right in line with everything our, our culture already believes? Of, of, of course we're drawn to that. But is that really enough? 
I mean, is that really the, the big idea? And so if, if we come to church with that sort of mindset, we come expecting a few warm fuzzies, right, and a little bit of good advice, neither of which am I very good at, frankly. In the Bible, well, and the Bible's an offensive book, isn't it? I mean, no way around it. The Bible will kick up against our selfishness, pride, greed, lust, gossip, all of these things that we grab onto. I mean, the Bible, if we take it seriously, it's going to hurt, isn't it? And even this ancient church, right, had to be reminded of that. Look at verse 8, how it begins. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And then he goes on and describes uh, some of the teachings that have sort of crept in, things that we've already talked about along the way as we've studied Hebrews. But he's saying there, Jesus, he doesn't change. Who he is, his ideals, his teachings, they don't change. And so don't be led astray by things that take us away from who he is. You got to keep in mind, right? These words were originally preached to a group of first century Jewish Christians trying to just figure out what it means to follow Jesus, right? In their culture while being persecuted. You better believe they were tempted to walk away. That they were tempted to just sort of allow their new beliefs to sort of merge in with their old beliefs so that they could just blend in, right? that they could fit in with the, the surrounding Jewish culture with them. I mean, life would have been so much easier if they had, wouldn't it? But he's been reminding them over and over, Jesus is better. And Jesus doesn't change. And so he's better than our comfort. He's better than our happiness. He's better than the way we feel about ourselves. Even if it hurts. Even if it means persecution, suffering, sometimes life with Jesus is a whole lot harder than life without him because of the broken world in which we live. And yet still he says Jesus is better. He's worth it. And by theology here, I don't mean heady stuff meant for a, a classroom. I mean stuff about God and how he's created us to live, meaty stuff, practical stuff, stuff that changes lives. I mean, the teachings found here in this book. Paul says something very similar in 2 Timothy. He says, preach the word, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? So ask yourself, when you think about church, do I expect it to hurt from time to time? If we're going to take this book seriously, it has to confront us, to challenge our, our culture, our lifestyle, our preconceptions about the way life works, our, or even our preferences. You're not always going to leave church happy. You'll always be left, if you attend here, I hope, you'll always be left with the hope of the good news of Jesus and how he, he transforms, how he breaks into our brokenness to transform it into something, something beautiful. I hope that's always the case here, and yet sometimes church is supposed to hurt. It stings me too. But deep down, don't you want it to? 
mean, you, you know you're broken. You know how far from perfect you are. Don't you want a God who's willing to challenge you, to confront you, to actually change you and mold you into the person that he's always created you to be, even when it hurts? And if your God can't do those things, I mean, seriously, if, if you read the Bible or hear a sermon or you encounter something written there and you just sort of brush it off and think, you know, I don't really believe that part. That part's not really for me. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do that. When, when you do that, really it means that you're your own God, that you're your own authority. Only if your God has permission to confront you, only then do you have any chance that you've actually encountered the real God and not just the God that you've created in your own image. It's the only chance. I mean, don't you find it fishy if your God likes all the same things you like and hates all the same people you hate? Isn't that a little suspicious? Only if God can confront you, disagree with you, push you, challenge you, change you, only then do you have any hope of having met the real God, and only then do you have any hope of becoming the person that he's always longed for you to be. So together as a church, theology, not therapy. Third. These get more fun as we go. <laughs> Sacrifice, not satisfaction. Speaking of it hurting, right? Because I love to be satisfied. I mean, every one of us, right? Much of our lives is spent on the quest to fulfill our own happiness, right? To, to meet our own desires. We spend 99% of our time probably in, in that, right? This. Ugh. Again, we can have anything we want in a matter of moments. And that consumeristic mindset, we cannot just leave that at the door when we go to church. It's impossible for us to leave it behind. It's part of who we are. It's, part of, it's so ingrained in us in a culture, and that affects the way that we approach church. But what, what if we disciplined ourselves to see church, to see this place, as an opportunity to sacrifice ourselves? instead of satisfy ourselves. To be givers first and takers later. That would change. Look, look how he describes the church as he continues in verse 15. He says, through him, Jesus, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now he's told them over and over again that we're done with animal sacrifice, hasn't he? That Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He fulfilled all the other sacrifices. And yet here, it's not a mistake, here he says, really, there, there are three sacrifices that are still left for us, still very important for us. Lips that praise, hands that work, and hearts that give, right? He points to, to all three of these here. Lips that praise, a, a sacrifice of praise, he says. I often don't think of worship as a sacrifice. And certainly worship, praise, right, that's all of life. It's not merely something we do on Sunday morning. Yet there's something unique about when we gather together in corporate worship. But how often do I see that as a sacrifice? I mean, I see it as... I like the music, I, I like the way I feel, the way it engages me, the way it changes me. I like the way the band sounds. I mean, it's all, it's all about me, right? And here he, he says it's supposed to be a sacrifice. 
Because ultimately, worship is, is, well, it's not about us, right? It's about God. It's about the glory of God coming before him and worship to him. And not just that, but enabling the people around us, longing to see them worship God with us. It's not about my preferences. It's not about the way I, I like it. Praise is a sacrifice. Also, he says, hands that work. You know, doing good to one another is specifically what he, what he says in the text. Um, service is always a sacrifice. At work, home, school, in your neighborhoods, and certainly at church, it's always a sacrifice. The reality is, if you're not serving the people around you, you don't know what the church is. You're missing it. It's a, it's a core part of who we are to be serving one another. And hearts that give. Sharing is also a sacrifice. Ask any two-year-old. Ask anyone, right? It's hard to give. But that's what he tells us to do. Give generously to those who are in need. Give generously to your church. And the reality is if you're not giving generously, you don't know what church is. Such sacrifices, he says, are pleasing to God. So ask, am I living a life of sacrifice? Or am I just looking for more satisfaction? Am I looking to to serve or to to be served? Am I finding new ways to live generously? And listen, I know so many of you are. It's amazing, right? So many of you serve so faithfully and give so generously. And just look around, right? You are enabling the, the work of God in, in this place and in, in the hearts of, of the people sitting here, but also throughout our, our city, our neighborhood. The things that you are doing, that you, you get to be a part of that. And for those of you who aren't serving or, or giving, I mean, I, I mean this with, with all grace and compassion. I hope you hear it that way, but you're missing out. Not us. We'll be fine. God said, Jesus said, I will build my church, right? But you're missing out. God himself invites you to be a part of his mission of redemption in the world. And the church is his plan A through Jesus. You get to be a part of that. Why would you want to sit on the sidelines? And for those of you who who know this, right? Who give, who serve, who who worship in this way, those of you who live this out, you know the irony of this this passage, right? Because, I mean, we talk about sacrifice over satisfaction, but the reality is when you begin to sacrifice for something greater than yourself, for a mission actually worth giving everything for, you find a satisfaction that runs so much deeper than anything else. Try it. Just try it. Sacrifice, not satisfaction. And finally, last one here. Church is about gladness, not groaning. Let's read in verse 17. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. That would be no advantage to you. He says, Pray for us, and he goes on and describes more specifically what he wants it to look like. But he says there, basically, right, give your leaders gladness, not groaning. 
Obey them, submit to them, he says. It's, it's the idea of mutual trust and respect, right? Not a blind submission, but a willingness to follow us together. We follow Christ. I mean, he says there, right, that, that my job, and those of us on staff as, as pastors here, our job is to keep watch over your souls. No pressure. And he says to do so as one who will give an account. We have about 500 people every Sunday here. So basically what, he, what he's saying is there is that I will be held accountable to God for every one of you. No pressure. Do you want to know the burnout rate of pastors? Now listen, I don't, I don't share any of this because I want to throw a pity party at all. I don't mean that. I don't have a woe is me attitude. Not a, not a bit. And I, nor do I want to communicate in any way that my job is more important or more difficult than yours. I don't mean any of that. And yet if you want a healthy church, you need healthy leaders. And you have a really important role to play in that. So let me just throw out a few statistics. Many of these came from a, a survey that was done just a few years ago of a thousand pastors at this large conference gathering. But let me just mention a few of them quickly. Did you know, for example, uh, 80% of seminary graduates abandon ministry in their first five years? Or that 57% of all pastors say they would quit if they could? 70% of pastors have zero close friends. 70% battle depression. 80% are discouraged. 80% believe their job endangers their family. 90% work more than 50 hours a week. 1,500 pastors leave their churches every month due to burnout, conflict, or moral failure. And the average pastor stays at a church less than four years before running. And don't you dare feel sorry for us, okay? I'm serious. I, I, I don't say that at all. I don't, I don't want pity. I don't, I don't mean any of that, okay? I, I mean that. I, I love my job. I love being a pastor. These, these things are not true for all pastors, but as I said, if we're going to have a healthy church, we need, we need to care about having healthy leaders. And again, you have a really important role to play. And so he says, make our jobs as joyful as possible. I love that he adds, you know, what does it gain you if you make us all miserable, right? He adds it. It's so true. Like, what, what benefit is it to you? So ask yourself, do I make my leaders glad or do I make them groan? If you don't know the answer to that question, you can come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> Just kidding, please don't. That'd be really, really awkward because I feel like honesty is also important. So um, don't come after me. This is a, this is a good moment for self-reflection, okay? Um, but for, again, let me just say, we have, a, we have an incredibly healthy congregation. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, there is such trust and respect, and we as pastors and our families, which is so important, feel so loved and cared for by you. I love it here. I, I never want to leave. I, I mean that. Absolutely, I mean that. We did talk a little bit about this together. Um, we try to come up with a few things that make us groan and a few things that make us glad, okay? And so I'm going to share three of each, all right? Um, we'll start with the, the groaning side of things. Three ways to make your pastor groan. Okay, first, uh, be careful with your complaining. Uh, we want feedback, 
criticism, we can take it. Just be careful how you do it. Be, be smart. And if Some people, let's be honest, you might be one of them. Some people are just never happy with anything, right? Uh, and you just love to complain. Um, bitterness destroys us. Don't, don't let that creep in. We want your feedback. We want good, helpful criticism. But think through how and when and why you give us that feedback. Second, be careful with good ideas. We love good ideas as well. We do, I promise. Uh, but be careful with them because uh, as a church, there's only so many things that we can do, especially if we're going to do them well. And we believe as a church that our, our mission, our focus, our philosophy needs to be pretty narrow, right, for the size and the scope and the things that we're trying to accomplish here. We want good ideas, but expect us to say no a lot, frankly, because we want to do a few things really, 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 really well, not all things poorly, okay? So be careful the way you bring us good ideas. Um, and, and if it's just a matter of preference or, you know, I really wish we were a little bit more like that, well, I mean, think through some of that um, for, for yourself. The reality is if you're not on board with the mission and philosophy of Christ's community, that's a deal breaker because um, we're, we're moving in one direction um, and we have really important things to do as a church, right, uh, of caring for people and loving, loving the lost. And so be careful with, with your good ideas. And the last one, uh, be careful just consuming that's, that's always a deflator for us, people who just take. Um, be a contributor. Um, look for other ways that you can care for the people around us. It's, we're too big for us as pastors to be able to do it all. Uh, we can't handle a lot of consumers. That's just the reality. Uh, we need people who will partner with us. So that's the three, the three groans. That wasn't too painful, right? Um, three ways to make your pastor glad. If I could just, just throw this out here. First, and this is the biggest one, and frankly, if, if you do none of the other ones, um, this is the biggest one, because all the other ones will flow out of this one anyway. But the number one thing you can do to make us glad is to grow spiritually, without a doubt. I mean, that's, that's why I'm here. It's why I do what I do. It's why all of us, right, as staff, we've given our lives to your spiritual growth and nourishment, and we long to see it. So grow. Let this place change you. Let Jesus change you through his word, through his spirit, and, and tell us about it. Tell us how God is changing you to become more like his son. We long to see it. There's, there's nothing that will encourage us like that. But there's two others that I'll mention, okay? Second is just partner with us. Um, we don't expect you to wake up every morning dreaming about Christ Community Church. Um, that's what we do. Um, honestly, it's, we, we love this place, right? And we love what God is doing through it. But partner with us serve, give, invite, participate, invest as fully as you can. We know, we know that you've got other things, right? Um, but long to see God's word flourish in this place and partner. Join us in that. And the third is pray for us. And that's what the author says, right? As, as he ends this, this section, pray for us. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your elders. Pray for your pastors. And please pray for our families. Please. You know, one of the things that I pray every week for all of our, our families of, of staff people, um, you know, who, have, who, who work here. Um, I pray every week, God, specifically for their kids by name, God help them to grow up loving Jesus and loving your church. Because I grew up as a pastor's kid. It's a dangerous place to be sometimes for kids. So pray for our families. Pray for them. Okay, all that to say, though, church isn't about us either. It's not about any one of us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's ultimately about this work that Jesus is doing in and through us. And we long to be effective, don't we? 
We, we long to fulfill the mission that he's given us of transforming lives for the, for the good of, of his kingdom. And what amazes me here, I mean, I hear all this stuff, right? I read verses like this. I preach a sermon like this. And I cannot help uh, but feel overwhelmed and feel in t- terribly inadequate and incredibly guilty for my inadequacy. And yet what's so amazing to me is that Jesus, who the church actually is about him, gave up all the rights of heaven and died for his church. Died for us. I mean, he so believed that the mission that God had set for him was was that valuable that he gave up his life. So there's forgiveness for our failures, for our inadequacies. And not, not just forgiveness, but he rose from the dead, right? And so that, that means that the things that we do together as a church, we're not on our own. That he is with us, continuing to work, that, that there's hope that the things we do are actually going to make a difference. There's great joy to be called the bride of Christ. That's who we are. And when we actually live this out, and we, we've seen this here time and again, haven't we? When, we? when we actually embrace that church isn't about you, it's not about me, it's then that we get to see Jesus do some really incredible things. I was reminded of this just not, not too long ago. Last month, we uh, dedicated Jackson McLean. I got a picture. It's uh, Kim uh, and Jackson and her husband, Craig. Um, it's Mother's Day. We, we did the baby dedication and together and all of that's fun and exciting, but there's a little bit of a backstory there. I met Kim six months ago. It was right after Thanksgiving. Um, and she and her in-laws, um, Mike and, and Julie, walked into our church office. I had never seen them before. It's the middle of the week. Uh, absolute strangers, but they came in in the midst of, I mean, truly grief that's, that's unimaginable uh, as they walked into our church. And it, what, it was just two days earlier um, that uh, Kim's husband had died. He was killed in a motorcycle accident over the Thanksgiving weekend. It's an amazing thing being a pastor in, in many ways. We get welcomed into the darkest, darkest moments of people's lives, even strangers. Um, but it is incredible, incredible privilege. And when Kim and, and Mike and Julie... Uh, showed up here. We ended up hosting the funeral for them later that week. Um, and they, they hadn't really been a part of a church, uh, not for a really long time. But they've, they've never left, um, which is exciting. That's why the whole baby dedication thing was such a beautiful moment. And I asked, I asked Kim to just write out a little bit of her story for us, um, to sort of let us into what church has meant to her as someone coming from the outside, coming from a place of deep, deep pain, Um, what it's been like. And so she she wrote it out for me. I want to read some of what she says here. She writes, When Craig and I were pregnant with our son Jackson, we knew we wanted to raise him up going to church. I had gone to church off and on throughout my life. Every Sunday we tried a new church, but unfortunately nothing clicked. Our little miracle arrived the day after our second wedding anniversary. Fast forward to November 30th, 2013. That morning, Craig put up our Christmas tree. I was going to stay home with Jackson and decorate our tree. Craig was going to ride his motorcycle for a while. We gave each other a hug and kiss goodbye, and no less than five minutes after that, our lives would be changed forever. I remember laying with my head next to Craig on the hospital bed. I had my eyes closed and was holding his hand. I couldn't grasp what was happening. Craig and I were the only ones in the room when I felt pressure on the top of my hand. 
I remember feeling a sense of peace come over me. I didn't open my eyes. I didn't want what was happening to go away. Craig passed away on December 1st. I was in what felt like a daze those next few days as we made all of the arrangements. There was much to do. I remember feeling nothing when strangers would tell me that they were sorry for our loss. That all changed when Craig's parents and I walked into Christ Community Church. We wanted to see if we could have Craig's funeral here. We were welcomed from the moment we arrived. Within five minutes of meeting us, Nathan and Sarah prayed with us. Let me just interact, interject here too. It's an odd but beautiful experience praying and crying with a bunch of strangers. Um, but God was doing something. And she continues, It's hard to find words how much it meant to me that people who don't even know you could genuinely care so much. I could see there was something special about this church. Craig's aunt and uncle, Mike and Joyce Poland, are members of Christ's community. Craig's parents, Jackson and I, started coming to Sunday services with them. Amazing things started to happen the more I came to church. I started thinking about what I'd learned and using that in everyday life. I've learned how to handle pain and stress. I'm more forgiving. I learned that I can't do this on my own. Listen, she writes this. It's amazing what happens when you truly let God into your life. God is everywhere if you're open to seeing him. She goes on and she she talks about the impact that she's been able to have on others now as she continues to, to experience and show the love of Christ to those who are also grieving as a result of, of Craig's death, inviting them to church and to be a part. And then she, she concludes with this. She says, I feel true friendship and love from everyone I've met at Christ Community. I'm so grateful for our new, new church home. Thank you for your prayers and strength. Kim, thanks so much for, for sharing that. Um, and Mike and, and Julie, you too, we're so glad that you are a part of our family. And we long to see uh, what Jesus continues to do in and, and through you. Friends, uh, this is what the church is for. Let's pray together. God, I'm so thankful that you have saved us through your Son that you have offered us forgiveness and life because of your death through Jesus on the cross and, and resurrection. God, I'm so thankful that you have rescued us. And God, I'm also so thankful that you have not rescued us alone. That you haven't just sort of left us here to sort of fend for ourselves in the midst of a broken world, but that you've given us your church, that you have built this institution that is universal across uh, cultures and history and, and time periods, Lord, for 2,000 years on the mission that you have put us on to bring your redemption to a lost and dying world. God, help us to be that church. Help us to, to love and to serve and to lead and to give and to encourage and to be able to be the people that you've called us to be so that we can continue to make an impact in the lives of the people around us here in our community, here in this building, as well as in our city and nation and world. God, we long for that. And God, we pray too for, um, for Kim and for Jackson, for Mike and Julie, and for Mike and Joyce as well, and just the rest of the family and, and those continuing to grieve. God, I, I can't even imagine, most of us can't even imagine that level of grief. 
And yet, God, we're so thankful that you have brought them even a glimmer of hope through your son. God, we're so thankful that they are here with us. Help us to be a family to them. Help us um, to care for them, to be able to love them, to be able to support them. God, we pray for, for Jackson as well as he grows up without his dad. I pray that we as a church would fill that role as best as we can. God, we love you. We trust you, Lord Jesus. Do these things in us, we pray. Amen.